You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Welcome to the Visions of Education podcast. I'm here with Michael. How are you doing, Michael? I'm all right. What's going on, Dan? Not a lot. Trying to get back in the flow of things. Been in D.C. at AERA conference the last few days and uh, just trying to catch up. How about you? I am actually, I start April vacation in two days and I'm currently in school. Nice. Hopefully no kids run in the room and ruin this podcast. No, I'm in a secret location in the school. No one knows where it is. Do you guys have like a bunker? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> well, so today we're going to be uh, looking at some big ideas, I think. Uh, with, oh, good. I like the big ones. Yeah, yeah. With my former department chair, Kim Pennington. Kim, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you guys? <sighs> we're all right. So can you tell us a little about... Um, kind of what you've been doing in education and your background? Sure. So um, I would call myself a veteran at this point, <laughs> which still seems really weird to say sometimes, but I think um, 20 years in counts as a veteran. Um, <clears throat> I taught for about 18 years in middle school and high school social studies, and I taught everything in social studies there was to teach. Um, I loved Oklahoma history the most. That's where I'm from. And um, and then for the last like 10 or 12 years, I've worked with pre-service teachers at OU and now at UCO, University of Central Oklahoma. And we I teach um, all kinds of foundational classes for pre-service teachers, social studies methods and assessment and research, things like that. So what was your favorite part about teaching Oklahoma history? <gasps> Woody Guthrie. <laughs> Ooh, tell us more. <clears throat> oh, he's a rebel. I love him. I named my first child Guthrie after him. So um, <laughs> I just, you know, when I when I went to the high school, I moved from a junior high to a high school, and they asked me what I wanted to teach, and I said, I really want to teach Oklahoma history, and the administrator was like, no one ever says that. No one wants to teach Oklahoma history. You can teach all the Oklahoma history you want. Because um, I had a great professor at the University of Oklahoma that really turned me on to a lot of cool things about Oklahoma history that are usually hidden like our socialist past and uh, Woody Guthrie and Karen Silkwood and Anita Hill and just those kind of really interesting stories that come out of Oklahoma. So anyway, that's how I got my ticket to move from junior high to high school was to volunteer to teach the subject nobody wanted. Right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it was great. I loved it. But then I, I taught APUS for a long time and um, got to develop a class called International Studies that was like an elective so I could do whatever yeah. I wanted and... Mm -hmm. um, there was very little oversight. No one really checked on me to see what I was doing. So it was complete curricular and instructional freedom. Right. And I mean, it was, uh, you know, I'd, I'd walk into Kim's class and they'd be like designing like, you know, yeah. refugee centers to understand how like you respond to like international crises. So it was a really cool class and to get students to in their senior year to not take a blow off elective, but to take something that yeah. was really serious was really cool. So I think... Uh, we could say Kim has had a very successful career thus far in education. Yeah? 
I like to think so. I've never been fired. Uh, yes. <laughs> so. I've had few parent complaints, so that's always a success. Yeah. <laughs> well, so uh, good, Michael. Oh, so what is the big idea that you've been pursuing? Like, what is your um, yeah? What's been your focus for the past few years? Okay. So um, I taught two classes in high school. One was APUS, and it was highly regimented and scheduled and, you know, has this big high-stakes exam at one end. A lot of parent involvement, a lot of parent concern, a lot of student stress, a lot of teacher stress. And then I had this opportunity to develop an elective called International Studies, and, and that was the complete opposite, where I had all this freedom to design curriculum and instructional activities and performance assessments and all kinds of cool simulations. And so out of that interest in international studies, um, I got really into ideas associated with global ed. So I think global education is really my big idea that I've been reading about and writing about for a couple of years now. And I did a lot of work with the American Red Cross on their international humanitarian law curriculum. And that's what Dan was referencing earlier is all about refugees and the rules of war and human dignity in times of combat and how to support those ideas. So all of that kind of snowballed into this big interest I have in global education. And I was able to kind of exercise those global ed muscles in my international studies class five days a week. And then in the evenings, I went to the university as a, an adjunct to work with pre-service teachers. And I found that there was this huge disconnect because my um, pre-service social studies teachers wanted to teach about global issues, but they really just didn't know how or when or even what to teach when it came to talking about like a global community. So um, that was really kind of a problem for me, I guess. And that's really where I started using visioning as a tool to help them kind of conceptualize what that would look like in practice. So visioning like envisioning without the EN on it. Right, right, right. So vision ing yeah total verb uh, and, uh, and it's it's born out of a lot of systems research and a lot of um like um city planning and things like that where let's say if we had a community uh, a suburban neighborhood or an urban neighborhood and we wanted to revitalize it we might all sit together and instead of talking about how we would get to this end place we would first start with the end place so what is our vision for our community 10, 20, 50 years down the road? And just don't even think about the how, just the what. What does it look like in the end? Okay. Can we walk? Can we travel without, you know, using fossil fuels? Can we um, share co-housing responsibilities or whatever? And so you start in that end place and then you use that as your, your um, that's where you start to walk back. And from that in place, then you start talking about how do we get there. So that's the big idea. What's, start with it. What's the like? Where, what's the background of it? Where did people start first start doing visioning? Where did it come from? Well, from what I've read, it's it's in a lot of actual corporate um, corporate literature, but it's in it's in a lot of city planning, a lot of community planning. Um, definitely in places that are more, more focused on building community. So you'll see it in um, a lot of it in the Pacific Northwest, kind of geographically, using uh -huh. the things to plan um, what the city will look like. And in fact, in our, in our own town in Oklahoma City, um, some of this visioning was used to kind of create um, the, 
renaissance that our urban areas are seeing right now. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing more um, recreational areas, um, small communities popping up kind of in the middle of the city. Um, so it's really born out of that, but I kind of stole all that idea, all, all of those ideas, and tried to put them into a classroom setting. Well, and I, I remember at one point you shared with me um, an article by Meadows, right? Was it? Um, oh, yeah. And, and I remember that kind of struck me because they were dealing with um, these like large scale sustainability world problems. Do you, do you remember that article? Yeah, totally. Donella Meadows. And I recommend her book, Global Citizen, for anyone that's interested in teaching about global issues. And you can use it at any grade level, I think. And then in high school classes, I often copied her essays. Um, She was a syndicated columnist um, uh, in the 80s and 90s. And she wrote on systems theories and things like that. And she had one essay that really struck struck me about um, ending hunger. And so her story is she goes to this big workshop with all these people who are aid workers. And she asks them to imagine a world where there is no hunger. And they all kind of short circuit. They're like, what do you mean? That's not really possible. There will always be hunger. We're here to try to, you know, make people less hungry, but we can't possibly envision a world where there really isn't any hunger. And so she talks about that as a starting point for helping them to realize you have to be able to vision what that end state looks like and how beautiful and amazing and perfect it is if you ever think if you ever want to get there. Mm-hmm. So the visiting is key to the planning. But often we spend so much time kind of spinning our wheels in the planning that we we don't keep our eyes on the prize. And so we lose all of that. So she has a really great um, essay called What the World Would Be Like If There Was No Hunger. Mm-hmm. And um, that was really the origin of it for me. We'll make sure that we uh, we link uh, mm-hmm. those books so that people uh, you know people can, can look at them for themselves. And and I would think too with with some of the work Meadows does because I know I've read that article when you recommended it to me and I, what spoke to me too is is that um, you can just get so caught up in what you can't do that it can have a psychological effect and so the idea of visioning also is is a psychological affective activity that like we need to be able to be optimistic about these massive challenges and I think there's a lot of implications. Um, and we'll talk about classroom implications in a minute, but even for education in general, to because you know we do have problems sometimes in education that seem almost insurmountable, and I think we sometimes don't even see possible ways forward or possible ways for making change unless we reference Finland, which that's like everybody's go-to. Right? <laughs> Be like Finland, which yeah. it was it was interesting the other night. I ran into some Swedish people and I think they said the Finland system was exceptional. But one of the things they told me, and I'm going to have to research this, is that they actually said Finland has been very uh, reticent about um, allowing immigrants in their country. And that has affected their school populations, unlike the surrounding countries. And that's actually led to higher test scores and things like that. um, Because, you know, yeah, the short term um, effects on test scores of, of bringing in an immigrant population probably is always somewhat of a drop in I'm not saying that in any kind of obviously negative way towards immigrants coming into a country because I think it's a, a, a long-term strength. But um, so, anyways, I was going to research that because every model has its own reasons why it succeeds or or doesn't. But so, Kim, can you tell us a little bit about what what would you see as being like the classroom applications if we're talking to educators at at any level? Like, what could they do with visioning as a way to help their classrooms? Well, I you know I use 
pre-service teachers, and then once we had done these visioning activities in our classroom, I encouraged them to think about their own classroom applications for a second grader or a sixth grader. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really think it's important in teacher ed that we model these things, activities. Sorry. <laughs> and Michael is in a real school today. So I'm actually, if that's your first announcement you have, that's way better than Kim and my school. I feel like there were times in uh, Kim and my school where um, – I mean, there would be like nine announcements during a 50-minute period. And I was like, this is absurd. Like, I can't even get a sentence out without a – I pointed out to some of my students the other day the importance of a bell ringer because there's often an announcement interruptions at the beginning of the hour. So having a bell ringer allows you to overcome that a little. And that will be the last noise that we hear. That's okay, oh. That's okay Michael. The school noises, you know, I think right. it makes it a more authentic It's authenticity, experience. right? Yeah, yeah. Keeps it real. So can you um, tell us about the classroom, I, uh, classroom applications, Kim? Yes. So in the classroom, in my classroom, so again, I was working with pre-service social studies teachers. The first activity I have them do, we read Donella Meadows' essay on a world without hunger. And um, one of the most powerful quotes from that is uh, that visions alone don't produce results, but will never produce results without them. The absence mm. of vision is one of the main reasons there is still hunger on this earth. And so we start with that quote. And I had yeah. them, we used, everyone had a Google Doc and we had a shared folder. And in their Google Doc, um, they began to just envision the perfect classroom the best classroom they could ever have. What would the curriculum be like? What would the walls be covered in? Would there be windows? And I tried to try to get them to like really free their mind and think about um, really kind of dissolving culturally what we know as school. Mm -hmm. And so the step is to just kind of envision those, that room, the physicalness of it. And then we went back um, over a couple of weeks and revisited those visions and they were all shared so we could um, read each other's and comment um, and some people, it's kind of like Neo in the Matrix, it took some people more um, <laughs> time to free themselves from their traditional ideas of what schooling looked like and what teaching and learning looked like. Um, and so other people just like wrote it all the way to the extreme. So those, it was, it was, those were like the genius children who knew there was no spoon. <laughs> right, exactly. There's a, there's a, <laughs> so, the world. Yeah, so we that took us a couple of weeks to really just kind of unthink about school uh, or unlearn school, and then um, and then I started introducing these concepts about global education. So we mm -hmm. we brought it back to this focus on social studies education and yeah. what the perfect ideal social studies classroom would be like, and then how do we take those social studies ideas about citizenship and civic responsibility to a global scale? Mm. So in the final analysis, we had this kind of chain of events that helped us envision what the ideal scenario would be to teach social studies in a meaningful way and also to make it global. And I think that helped them see some possibilities. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and they were just, you know, beautiful to read in the end. They were really, um, they're designed, I hoped them that they would be like inspirational for them as they were starting their careers in the classroom. But I kept going back and reading them and finding them inspirational for, for me to read. So they, they were really, um, really beautiful. And um, I, I stole this idea a little bit from Kim, too, and tried it in my classes. And the one thing I'll say is it was very interesting initially because I would have them draw it. They would be in class together, and I would ask them to draw their ideal learning environment. I wouldn't even say school. I would say ideal learning environment. 
And it was fascinating because so many of them, I mean, would initially have these very, they, they just weren't dreaming at all. You know, they were, right. they were very simple. They're like the classroom's in a circle. And I'm like, you could just do that anyway. Like, this is your dream. I was <laughs> like, you can make your classroom out of gold. Like, you know, you can do anything. It can, doesn't even have to be on this planet. Just like dream big. Cause then when the end we would talk about, yeah. So say you said you had a traveling, you know, classroom where you took planes all over the world. I was like, okay, well you can't really do that, but how can you make your classroom see all over the world. And we talked about the alternatives from using, you know, um, uh, Google Street View to, to all the other apps and videos and things you could do to help your students experience culture in the world. And so they started to, that's what it did is it opened possibilities. But I'm wondering what Michael, what would you see as possibilities for like, could you see visioning <laughs> as like for a social studies class, for a world history class or something as part of seeing the purpose? Because I feel like sometimes social studies classes it's the kids don't see a purpose in why they're studying it. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause when you think of like, you know, if, if you're to ask me when I'm down the trenches, like I'm, you know, trying to figure out what I'm doing next, I'm just thinking about, okay, so I'm doing, <laughs> I'm going on world war two right now. Uh, and then I'm going to be talking about the cold war and then we'd spending a lot of time in decolonization. So I think during the year, unless I'm being really mindful, my answer will be like more concrete. Like I'll be focused on exactly what I'm doing. Um, but I think that this kind of activity would be good to like really envision the type of education that I want, the type of questions that I want students mm -hmm. to be answering, and then try to figure out how to include that, embed that throughout the curriculum. If we're looking at, you know, what should be the role of the citizen in the global world, weaving that in throughout uh, the World 2 curriculum, which is what I teach, would be a really neat thing. But it's, it's that mindfulness that you would just need that space to do it. Uh, and so I really love the activity. Um, and you really do need to create the space or else, again, you're, it's just going to be lost. Right. I think it gives us something to hang our hat on, too, you know, because yeah. when you're teaching at that kind of breakneck pace or social studies or any any subject, really, um, you get caught in that chronological, like, I'm trucking, I'm trucking, <laughs> I'm doing everything I can to get to Vietnam, you know, yeah. <laughs> really kids are interested in more of the recent history than the, the old history, and we go so quickly through the recent past, it's a shame, yeah. but I think that that visioning thing, if you set it up at intervals in the school year where you start and you revisit and you revisit and you revisit, it gives you something that's like this constant thread that moves through the whole year that you can really hang hang other ideas off of and um, it seems like oh sorry it's it seems like you also could um look at like your end goal and then figure out like what parts of the history do you really need to cover is the yeah. war of 1812 really that important in the grand scheme of things now if it fits into like the canadians your vision, would say so <laughs> canadians <laughs> would absolutely say so uh but, you know, I think there's so you're right. There's so much history and we spend so much time with all the earlier stuff and we do kind of neglect like the, the more recent ones. And so, yeah, if we kind of really like mindfully look at what the end goal is, uh, we can make sure that there's uh, we have time for all that and I or for most of it. I could see war. You know what I mean? You just talked about talking about World War Two. I mean, I could see a bell ringer activity even before, like sometime during the year as being like, what does a world without war look like? And imagining that, and then that's a recurrent discussion that could come up whenever wars come up. What are the reasons and causes? But also, you know, I know, Kim, you've talked about this a lot, is that so often we talk about war in schools, but we rarely talk about peace. You know, we talk mm -hmm. about what, what it takes to make and sustain peaceful. 
relations. Right. Well, and I think evidence of that is like when you ask students to say what's a world without hunger or a world without war or there are no rules for your classroom, like it it blows their minds. They can't really conceptualize it. So that that those first few episodes of visioning really took a lot of prodding and poking and um, encouragement. And I think you'd have to do that on any topic you were asking them to vision because it illustrates how culturally pervasive some of those ideas are and how they've kind of Im- were immersed in them. So it's hard to see our way out of them sometimes. Right. Um, well, as we kind of finish up, and, and one good thing, I'm getting ready to go to a high school here in Denton and the, somehow they're covering like 9-11 and like the 2000 election. I'm like, I don't know how you guys ever made it to that point in the curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll ask, That's I'll, great. maybe they had an amazing vision about including the present more. I'll ask them when I'm there. Um, right. But any resources or other things that we should reference, I will go ahead and because Kim probably wouldn't do it herself and say she has a great article on this that was published in the Ohio Social Studies Review, which we will definitely link with this podcast on our site. Um, anything else that that would be useful for people trying to understand these issues? Um, any other resources or ideas? Yeah, totally. So I'll um, hook you guys up with a link to um, some information about Donella Meadows and her work as a systems theorist and an environmentalist and all of her syndicated columns um, are available for free online and they're just great for high school kids. And they they have a total global focus. So um, I'll hook you up with those. Okay, great. We'll put those online. Um, And so you can can find uh, Kim if you want to ask her lots of important questions. I'm trying to get her to use Twitter more. And so her name on Twitter (laughs) is at Pim Kennington. Um, very creative name. <laughs> Could have gone with Pig Latin, but I like the simplicity. Um, <laughs> and then uh, you can find me. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. And uh, we'll continue the conversation in those and other spaces. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.